Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroya, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroya.io. Welcome to Arroya Office Hours Live, a weekly session for cultivators to hear from the experts and talk to each other about what they're seeing with their grows. My name is Keisha. I'm your co-moderator today because I can't do it alone. What's up, Mandy? Hey, Keisha. How are you? Good. Excited. You want to tell our friends out there what's so special about today's episode? I would love to. Today is actually our 30th episode of Arroyo Office Hours. It's a pretty big session for us today. So yeah, just thinking about it this morning about how much we've learned. Um, yeah, it just seems like yesterday when we were learning about, uh, you know, VPD uh, and why we don't say flush and um, yeah, just all the basics to crop steering. So it's super exciting. And uh, we thank everyone for joining us today. Amazing. Yeah. Super excited. Really proud of the work that we've done here and just the opportunity to talk to cultivators. We have some special programming today. Seth and Jason, who is in the house? How are you guys? Yeah, I appreciate you guys having us on today. Uh, PG is excited to have the opportunity to uh, sit down and talk with you, with you guys a little bit about uh, our experience using Arroyo and just our cultivation background and how we came to where we're at today. Sweet. Well, it's a pleasure to have you on the show today. Yeah, yeah just, just so everyone knows, this is Jake from Peninsula Gardens. Um, if you want to explain your title and kind of a little bit about your background, Jake, that'd be cool. Yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, my name is Jake Shockey. Uh, I'm the general manager here at Peninsula Gardens in Orion, Michigan. Um, we're about a year into cultivating at this current time. Um, you know, we're, we started with a caregiver on myself specifically. Um, I was a caregiver 10 plus years ago growing in Michigan's uh, medical market um, on a small scale basis, doing, uh, you know, 72 plants at, you know, different mediums, different styles of cultivation and, uh, you know, basement, bull barn, those kind of, uh, you know, those kind of practices. And now, you know, 10 years later, you know, we're in a beautiful state-of-the-art facility and uh, things have changed a little bit, all the way from the data monitoring and tracking to, uh, you know, the cultivars that we're growing. So, it's been a really, you know, exciting time to, you know, grow with the cannabis industry itself. And uh, yeah, I'm happy to be here. So, you know, I'd love to give you guys a little background on kind of how I got here and how, you know, Peninsula got here, if you guys are up to hearing it. Absolutely. Yeah, please. Yeah. So, yeah, I guess, like I said, I started as a caregiver. Um, you know, cannabis has always been in my family. My dad's had a huge passion for cannabis for a long time. Uh, my mom was the first graduate from uh, the turf grass program at Ohio state, which is an agronomy degree. Um, so she's always had a huge love for plants, which kind of inspired me at a young age to learn a lot more about plants in general and just, you know, kind of the studies of that. And then from there on, I, you know, I dove in a little bit deeper after college into uh, cannabis specifically, I was able to team up uh, here at Peninsula with a group of, you know, 12 or so caregivers that were all doing our own thing on a separate scale. And uh, we were able to recruit a really talented cultivator from grassroots, uh, Austin Edelmeyer, who's our who's our DC over here at uh, Peninsula Gardens, as well as uh, Aaron Schneider, who's a good friend of mine, went to high school with me. And we re reconnected years later after high school, not knowing that either one of us were even into cultivation and growing cannabis. And uh, now we're partners at a pretty large scale. So it's been fun to uh, take this journey on with all these individuals at Peninsula Gardens. We have a really strong family, uh, close-knit group of people, and uh, we're always here to push each other and uh, grow every day. So, yeah, that's kind of how we got here. Nice. How long uh, has Peninsula been formerly a company? 
So we started the journey about three years ago. I actually came on board initially as a consultant. I was doing consulting on uh, about 10 plus, uh, you know, licensed facilities as, as Michigan was transitioning from the caregiver market, which was kind of a small medical side thing where you can only grow for your patients all the way to a licensed, um, you know, metric compliant state. Um, I consulted on many different grows and then I consulted on Peninsula and I was able to meet my partners, which we have today. And uh, we just hit it off really well. That was about three years ago when we started the project. Uh, we built the building from the ground up, suited exactly to our needs, state of the art. Um, so that way, when when things go federally legal, we have everything in place to be fully uh, up to up to snuff as far as top shelf cleanliness practices and so forth. So um, that's kind of how Peninsula came about. We've been actually growing for about a year now. First plants went into the ground about June 1st, 2021. Um, so that was, that was an exciting time for us. And our first harvest was in September and now we are here and, uh, deep into the harvest cycle and we can't keep product on the shelf. So we came a long way and it's, it's exciting. Uh, it's so cool, man. It, it's a interesting transition from being a caregiver into fully commercial and, and the legalized transformation. So what, um, you know, what are some of the things that you really liked about growing as a caregiver and, and how has that changed and what is your favorite thing now? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, we all started becoming a caregiver because we had passion for the plant. We had passion for smoking cannabis. We had others, whether it be in our family or, you know, friends of friends that needed cannabis um, from like, you know, a medical perspective. So we were passionate about the plant from a medical use standpoint, as well as just, you know, competing and growing the best possible flowers that we possibly could. Um, so the nice thing about being a caregiver that I really miss is you could, you know, try a lot of different things. We, we grew in a lot of different medium mediums, different styles. And initially we kind of started like an ebb and flow. I don't know if you guys remember those days, all the way to like a deep water culture, um, you know, pretty high level, like, you know, water culture, and then a little bit of aeroponics all the way to like that drip style that we're using now with like a cocoa medium or something like that, the such, um, rock wool as well. So, you know, I just really miss the hands-on experience that, you know, you're with the plants every day. Um, you know, those kind of caregiver things, but today, you know, it's about managing the people, managing the data, uh, making, you know, data-driven decisions generally, and, uh, you know, making sure that you're giving the people what they want, new cultivars, new flavors, top shelf stuff. So, you know, it's just a little bit different world from the caregiver to the uh, commercial life, but, you know, we love them both the same. Yeah, definitely, definitely a little bit more liability on, on testing and trying and, and pushing new ways of growing when you've got as much product to, to hit the shelves as you do right now. What, yes. um, what do you guys ended up in Rockwell? So cur currently we're in charcoal cubes, uh, about a half gallon medium. Um, we've definitely played a little bit with Rockwell, but we really like where we're at with a small cocoa cube currently. We're able to steer the medium how we like to. We're get, getting great uh, growth rates. We like that it comes in compressed. So you don't have to deal with much pest presence ever. Um, don't have to treat your cocoa as much as, you know, getting actual, you know, non-compressed cocoa. So um, that's, that's kind of how we're growing right now. Cool. I, I know I love cocoa myself, so it's, it's fun. Uh, our sensors work well. Um, it's doesn't take up a lot of space, easy to buy lots of good market, lots of good product on the market these days, as far as the, the vendors of, of different cocoa goes. Yeah great storage and flavor. Like you can store it. It doesn't take up a lot of space, which is great. And I think the flavor you get out of the cocoa is just unparalleled too. So yeah, I'm, I'm right there with you. Mm -hmm. Nice. What, uh, 
maybe you just want to tell us a little bit about your other parts of your facility. You know, what kind of lights you're running, what kind of irrigation systems, how many rooms. Just yeah, I'd love to. Give us, yeah, get so, us in there. Yeah, we'll do a quick like kind of virtual tour. And if anybody actually wants to see a, a really cool drone tour, we have a drone tour on our uh, on our website as well as our Instagram. So you can actually see pretty cool drone flying in between the plants, underneath the canopy, below the benches, above the benches. It's pretty cool. Um, you know, one of the guys like second top drone guy in the country came through and does some wild tricks and stuff, but, uh, <laughs> you know, we have three flower rooms. Each flower room is, uh, 80 lights. Um, we have all led facility. We're using fluence, uh, Viper two peas, um, in each flower room. Like I said, we're going in charcoal or medium. We have about 600 plants per room, give or take. Uh, we're generally pulling around, I would say 200 to 240 pounds of trimmed usable flower, not counting trim per harvest. Um, obviously strain dependent, some strains yielding heavier than others, but obviously growing for quality, terpene flavor profile, um, which is why we got these awards over here. Um, that's what we strive for. Obviously we want quantity, but quality is first, first year always. Um, we have a really solid cultivation team, about 12 people. Um, they, they're, very well knit. We, we, we take fresh frozen sometimes for extracts. We do rosin products, different, you know, different collaborative products, but in-house we mainly pre-pack our flour in eighths. Um, we have some really cool packaging as well. That's also on our website. We also do pre-rolls. We are prided ourselves in uh, having some of the top pre-rolls in the state as well. Um, fertigation wise, we use a rhythm, uh, direct injection feed style. We're currently transitioning to a, uh, a batch style feeding system, which I think we're going to be a little bit more happy with. Um, we also have like some cool knickknack stuff, like a cryo freezer for preserving terpenes when we're taking extracts. Um, we really try to make data driven decisions and everything, whether that be from um, fresh frozen yields um, based on how long we're freezing our product in a cryo freezer or whatever. We really want to make sure we have that data so we can get the most out of what we're doing here at Peninsula. So that, that would be kind of the run through of the facility somewhat. Um, currently, we're in the process of tripling production. We're going to be adding on five additional flower rooms since we only have three. Um, a lot more mother and veg space as well. Currently, we have a two-tier bedroom. Uh, so we're, we're currently building out to a second phase as well. We're adding on a retail location as well. So we're really growing very fast. We also have an outdoor uh, cultivation setup, which is a 20 acres that we're doing all for extraction. So we're, you know, doing a lot of different things and uh, it's growing and it's a challenge, but it's a lot of fun. So. Yeah. I was just going to say, it sounds like a fun facility to work at. You guys are well-equipped and I guess when yeah. you, when you mentioned the challenges, what, uh, what are some of the things that you guys are facing over in your market right now? Yeah, I think uh, at the time that we came online, you know, with obviously the COVID stuff was going on, finding, you know, good labor, people willing to work, the market was rough. We came online with our first harvest. Uh, we harvested in September. So we came, you know, with our first harvest to market during Croptober. I'm sure you guys are familiar with Croptober. Um, you know, the market takes a nice little dip over the winter, uh, as well as there was a big recall in the state of Michigan, which affected about 80% of cultivators. So that affected us as well. So we had a really challenging first uh, few months uh, getting to market, no doubt. Our packaging was delayed due to the COVID stuff. That was a challenge, but, uh, you know, we started 2022 off, um, with a bang and we came out with our packaging. We dropped our exclusive packaging, our pre-rolls, new strains, you know, everything's high testing and, uh, you know, we haven't really looked back from there, but it was definitely a challenge, challenging 2021. 
And I think the whole Michigan market can attest to that a little bit. It's very competitive, a lot of cultivation facilities, a lot of lights online and more coming. And, uh, you know, we're happy to compete and, uh, you know, it's going to be a fun time, but it's definitely was a challenge to establish a new brand that no one was aware of. So that was definitely something that, you know, we had to deal with. Yeah. What, um, what kind of strains are you guys running over there? Is there anything unique or anything that you like the best? Yeah. I mean, everyone, you know, knows the runs. We do pride ourselves in our runs. It's one of our favorites, but we do have an electric peanut butter cookie. Um, that was actually what won our Za Olympic trophy that you can see behind me. Um, I don't know if you guys can see that, but that is the, uh, Za Olympic trophy first place, best tasting flower in Michigan. We're very excited to uh, take that home. We were competing with some of Michigan's best cultivators that I just, you know, really look up to. So that was, that was a strain that's got a ton of accolades that we just can't keep on the shelf. Electric peanut butter cookie. It's, it's got a uh, peanut butter breath in it and some, uh, lemon G as well. It's got a really unique turf profile that just stays tasty all the way throughout. If you guys are in Michigan, I'd definitely get you guys a sample of that. <laughs> we have a Clemendo strain, which is an in-house hunted, unique, uh, lemony orange haze that uh, was hunted by one of our growers, Aaron Schneider. Um, that's a unique one. We have a sure cream pie. That's really unique and a cherry lime runs that, uh, that Cody Wellington from our team brought in. That's a really unique one. So we got a lot of strains that most people that no one in Michigan has, which I think, uh, kind of separates us a little bit. Then we do have some stuff, like you said, like the runs and, you know, dual OG ice cream cake, some of the stuff that, you know, people are used to seeing on the market, but we like to have some exclusivity as well. I have a question, Jake, out of all of those you listed, which one is your personal favorite and why? I would probably say, I would probably say the runs. It's a classic. I mean, the joint tastes just perfect all the way throughout. Uh, it's very fruity, straight, clean resin ring at the end, white ash. It gives you a great high where you can really be productive throughout the day, but you're also at a really nice functioning level, takes kind of the edge off. It's just something that I find myself smoking throughout the day and really enjoying. So I would say the runs would probably be my go-to if, you, if I had to pick one. Thank you for the tip when I'm in Michigan. Yeah, I'll get you several so you can try and make your own decision. Um, yeah, that sounds amazing. Um, oh my gosh, the stuff that you're growing sounds fire. Um, we had a question that came in through the chats um, just now. Kyle wants to know, um, what nutrient brand do you use and what's your flush protocol? Thanks for that, Kyle. Yeah. Hey, Kyle, appreciate the question. Uh, currently we're using front row ag. Uh, we've used a number of different nutrient suppliers through our years, um, just to trial everything, see what we like, what we don't like. Um, there's a lot of good lines out there, but we use front row currently. Um, we've been playing with the feeds a little bit, depending on the strain, but basically, um, two weeks prior to chopping the plant, we basically drop our EC down to about a 1.5 EC. And then the final week of uh, flower, we flush straight RO. Um, and we just basically maintain that all the way through, uh, harvesting, get that nice white ash every time and a very clean burn. Uh, that's one thing that we definitely pride ourselves in is the taste of our flowers. Definitely uh second to none in our opinion. Nice. No problem. Well, let's just keep, uh, keep hitting, hitting some questions about, uh, how you guys are operating over there. Um, you know, I, maybe you'll let us know how long you've been using Arroyo, maybe how long you knew about Arroyo, what, uh, what got you interested in, in the product, how you heard about it, those kind of things. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Arroyo was kind of like, 
kind of opening up a whole new frontier to data and just kind of like analytics on, on the uh, cultivation side that I don't feel like anyone was really addressing. So that caught my eye when they were just launching. I think we came on board with Arroyo early in August, I want to say, um, but we didn't actually be, you know, use Arroyo until our second crop because our first crop was already, you know, almost to the point that it was going to get chopped. So our second actual cycle, we, we came online with Arroyo. Um, you know, we were achieving amazing yields without Arroyo, but once we add them online, it prevented so many potential issues, um, whether that be a zone that didn't get fed or a zone that was drying back a little too hard or a zone that was getting overwatered or, uh, you know, a strain that we wanted to stack EC a little bit at that particular time. And we, we realized it wasn't doing that. So we wanted to steer it a little bit differently. So it's been, it's been amazing to have that data, have the apps on hand, to be able to task with our team. We use the tasking sometimes as well to, uh, you know, let our team know because everyone's moving 10 different ways. You can all refer back to what tasks you have for that day, when it should be completed and what the status is. So, you know, we love that. And uh, being able to repeat the scheduling from each harvest so we don't have to input data every single time has been nice. And I think the coolest thing about Arroyo is we're still learning new values. We're working with you guys directly to try to you know, better the platform to give you guys feedback on what we want to see, what things you guys can maybe improve on. And, uh, you know, that's, that's the nice thing is when you guys are willing to work with the cultivators that are using your guys stuff, it just makes the process seamless and we can just, you know, improve together at a much quicker rate, I think. So, you know, Roy has been great and the whole team loves it. I don't, I don't think we could ever see a time where uh, we didn't have it. So. Nice. Well, I, I know it's, one of the things that absolutely makes this job fun for me is seeing you guys succeed, learning your stories, kind of understanding how the different cultivators are working through the challenges, um, both technical challenges, both marketing challenges, all that stuff. So we, uh, we really appreciate, you know, using the product and, and being, uh, being part of our team with us. Yeah. Any, anytime that I hear Ray, you know, like you're saying it helped kind of overcome some little stumbling blocks, little issues that were, you could avoid because you had eyes on it with 24 seven data logging. I mean, that's one thing I value so much about it. And I'm glad people do value because anytime we can save someone's crop, it's big news, you know, <laughs> that's a lot of money that's, saved. So yeah, I think, oh, yeah. Uh, we all get that. Cause you know, even we, we even use like the Atmos in our dry room, our vault, I mean, everywhere. I mean, that data is so important. We want to make sure that, you know, the product's drying, curing, um, being packaged wherever it may be at the right temperature, right humidity. And if there is issues and it's out of, you know, the tolerance dead bands, we get an alert so we can adjust and be aware of that. So, you know, like you said, hit the nail on the head and, you know, those, those, uh, RH alerts have been super crucial. Sometimes, you know, you'll have a compressor go down or whatever it's, it's cultivation things happen. Mm -hmm. Um, and then you get that alert and you're like, Oh shit, I got to head to the facility. But at the same time, you're like very appreciative. You got that alert. So we haven't had too many, but you know, mm -hmm pay dividends when they do so oh yeah just those little ones you know like setting your alerts to uh, actually reflect malfunctioning equipment that can be a exactly. huge one so you're not getting loaded up with them and then you know oh yeah my rh is out that you know rarely do i come out of vpd that's probably a failure or hey we're heading into the fall yep got to start changing settings temperatures are changing outside this confirms yep. it yep. absolutely um, I guess though, like, what are some of the uh, biggest struggles you think that you've been able to overcome since you've had transparency and data and, you know, 24 seven data monitoring? Yeah, I think the biggest struggle we've had, obviously growing a lot of cultivator, a lot of cultivars in the same room, you know, you're growing 
eight plus strains in one room. A lot of those strains don't like the same thing, don't like the same intensity, lighting intensity, feed intensity, whatever it may be, drying back is hard. Maybe they uh, dry out quicker than the other strains. So having so many different variables at play in the same flower room is definitely always a challenge. I think that's one of the fun parts about cultivating is it challenges our team to learn each strain, especially as you bring in new strains, you're constantly finding out what that strain may like, whether it's a heavy feeder early on, or it doesn't like to be, you know, fed as high so that you want to run that, you know, that EC, watch that Arroyo, make sure that EC is staying, you know, between, you know, three and five is generally, we like to see that runoff and, you know, just kind of maintaining, you know, that it's within its set guidelines per strain per cultivar. So that's definitely one thing. I think the other side is, you know, managing all the rooms, you know, some strains maybe want to come down a few days before the others. Um, you want to harvest them at the exact right time. So you get that, you know, trichrome head exactly where you want it, but it's, it's tough when you have that many cultivars. So that's one thing that we've been challenged with, but we've scheduled our room a lot better. So that way we don't have to deal with that. We can put things that like to, you know, grow a certain way together and then certain, certain strains that like to maybe be pushed a little harder in this room. So I think that's been uh, something that we've figured out. Um, but that's definitely been one of the biggest challenges on the cultivation side. I think our irrigation strategies as well, um, from like a fertigation standpoint have also been another challenge that we've experienced because we can't just shoot micro shots in to our medium, whenever we want. We have somewhat of a, a limited time range that we can feed certain times. So we don't get to steer quite just maybe some people that are on dab, dab pumps or, um, dose trons or something like that. So. Cool. Yeah. I mean, it's, uh, it's really useful to have data and, you know, it's, it's always a challenge. Like that's, that's one unfortunate thing. I think most growers are faced with right now is having to grow several strains in one room, but it is really nice to start quantifying, you know, what is, what is that actual happy medium for everything? And, you know, having a full picture because by the time you're at eight different cultivars in a room, you're maybe not quite as challenged as having perpetual harvest, but depending on what the cultivars are, it might be pretty close as far as trying to find, okay, what is the medium we can run in? Cause too far one way or the other in terms of VPD temp, I mean, certain plants just won't tolerate it. So that's always a fun challenge as a grower to deal with. And then also seeing how we can chat, overcome some of those challenges just with irrigation, I think that's is pretty cool. Yeah. I think one of the interesting things that I've seen when people do have quite a few cultivars in a room is, you know, that at each run, they'll notice that one of the strains performs a little bit better than maybe the last round or the other strains. And so they use harvest groups and document, Hey, this is our golden run for that strain. And then they can kind of also start to group them together when they're organizing their, uh, their production planning. No doubt. Yeah. I look forward to you guys as you guys integrate closer with metric in Michigan. Um, I look forward to using the harvest platform and data more. We currently have like a third party uh, harvest kind of platform that integrates our data with metric really like, fluidly. So that's been really nice. Once you guys fully have that onboarded and everything, we look forward to kind of playing with that because then we'll have all our data in one place and it can better steer our decision-making. Like you said, harvest batches, was that the perfect run? Are these strains perfect for each other? So forth. And uh, we can really look back at each harvest data, have it in the same place and you know, that that'll be helpful. So looking forward to that. Oh yeah, absolutely. Anytime you can reduce the number of platforms you have to work on. Uh, you know, the better <laughs> it's, it's easy to start building up so many different programs to work in that you, uh, probably didn't expect to at a cultivation facility. 
yeah, it's a lot more technical than I thought originally, but uh, it's been fun. And we got a really strong team. We have a great uh, post-harvest team. Our packaging team is top shelf. Um, Cam, who runs our, uh, he's our manager for our post-harvest side. He makes sure our weeds, you know, cured perfect every time. The cannabis is always within, you know, the right water activity that we look for every time. So you get that clean smoke. It doesn't, you know, grind up into dust. It's not too dry. It's not too wet where it's chunky. Um, it's really just like that fine level that you want to see where it's sticky, but it's not, it's not shredding to dust. So, you know, we, we're just, you know, very appreciative that we have each sector of the facility rolling hand in hand together to, you know, push forward to the same goals, which is providing the best cleanest cannabis possible, you know, to the end user. So, you know, that's what we're striving for. And I feel like we're, uh, we're getting there every day, a little bit closer. So. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, ensuring that quality all the way into the jar is really key. I mean, there's nothing worse than, uh, you busting up really hard for a couple months to get this harvest out and then, uh, it gets over dried or under dried and it molds or, you know, the quality just isn't consistent in post-production. I know that yeah. over the years has been a challenge for quite a few growers as they've been able to outgrow, you know, their drying capability that they designed the facility with, for instance, that sometimes seems to be a challenge. Hey, yeah, you hit the nail on the head right there. We definitely, uh, we harvest more than we plan to dry. Let's say that, uh, which is, you know, a good and a bad problem. I think, uh, our grow team's so talented and we have such elite genetics that, uh, they perform at super high levels, uh, from a yield basis and testing basis. But, uh, we're really looking forward to phase two because we'll have a significant more amount of dry space. So, mm -hmm. you know, that'll be nice. Um, Michigan also has some of the most rigorous testing standards, um, in, in the United States, from a compliance standpoint. So, you know, we're constantly tasking ourselves with being better from an air quality standpoint for a facility to uh, monitoring how we can continuously, you know, provide the best possible cannabis to the end user. So, um, you know, there's so many things that, that are at play from an environmental standpoint, air quality standpoint, um, a feed perspective, irrigation strategies are obviously a factor as well. Um, to, you know, dry and curing, maintaining that water activity and, uh, you know, proper burping protocols and such. So, you know, that whole process is a lot deeper than people really think to, uh, provide the perfect cannabis at the end of the day. So, um, we really strive to push ourselves in all those areas. Would you say, uh, it was pretty difficult, a pretty difficult learning curve to do curing on a large scale basis. I know when I first got into it, that presented an interesting logistical challenge going from small batch, like literally, you know, gallon jars to, okay, how do we deal with hundreds of pounds of product every couple of weeks? Um, yeah. what was that a, a big step for you? Yeah. I mean, it was definitely different. I mean, coming from a caregiver, I mean, we were pretty large from the caregiver side, I guess. So we were pretty, you know, used to, you know, tote curing large bins, mm -hmm. tote, stuff like that. But with the whole compliance side, the testing, you have to be a lot more thorough. The SOPs, the cleaning protocols have to just be um, a lot, a lot deeper, a lot more thorough. So that's, that was a little bit of a challenge, but we were able, like I said, we brought, uh, an individual, like I said, Cam, our, our team lead on the harvest side, he was able to help us streamline our processes. Um, like I talked to you guys about Cody and Austin as well. They're just, you know, familiar with the commercial side, as far as curing, testing, um, burping, all those processes. So we were able to kind of get together and, uh, you know, take a team, approach to it and kind of get everyone's feedback and take the best strategy. And obviously every day we're learning, we're adjusting and uh, trying to grow to improve strategies every day. But uh, we do have some really good standards at play. And, you know, I would say right away, we weren't, weren't exactly there, but we learned pretty quickly 
Um, you know, what it takes is if you don't learn quickly in Michigan, you're not going to last long. Yeah. It's, it's competitive out there. I mean, any, any new state coming on for expansion, just, uh, I guess the green rush is still a thing at least for a little bit once it hits. Right. And it seems like you guys are, you found a pretty sustainable way to ride out that green rush and move into that next phase, which is okay. What are we looking at long-term here? Establishing a brand, having consistent product and going, okay, yeah, we're pretty darn sure we're going to be here next year. Yeah, absolutely. We're positive. (laughs) Yep. I think some of the things that I notice when I'm out in Michigan, it's, it's, it seems like compared to some other states I've been to, it's, it's a lot more like manufacturing type of focus where they're, they're implementing industrial processes, uh, into, into their cultivation systems. And so that's one thing I got really excited about is it was like going into a, you know, a Ford manufacturing plant or a food manufacturing plant where, Hey, our cultivation needs to be streamlined from start to finish in order to stay competitive here. Yep, exactly. Yeah. And maybe that's just a cultural thing in Michigan. I guess people are industrious. Yeah. But it is really cool to watch. I know uh, seeing some of these States that have come on more recently for, you know, larger scale facilities, man, the, the level of technology in some of these places and the ability to do like what you guys have done and start from scratch you know, not retrofit an older building, not have to deal with a lot of shortcomings that I don't know. I, I deal with plenty of people who, uh, it, you know, at first, sometimes it seems like they got a great deal on some real estate, you know, so they're going to start a weed grow and, you know, a couple million bucks later, it might've been easier to not have to tear down the old building and build a new one or, you know, it, it's, it's cool to see it, to see the industry mature. And I'm sure for you guys, it feels pretty awesome to be part of that you know, it's, it, it feels like you made it, like you got a real job in weed and it, it is a real job now. It's normal. Yeah. It's, it's pretty cool. Yeah. Michigan, uh, industry. I mean, Michigan has been very receptive to the cannabis mm-hmm. industry from, I would say not day one of the, uh, caregiver market, but at, at the, at the day one of the license, you know, metric side of things at that point, I think communities kind of said, okay, this is here to stay, you know, let's get with it. Let's, let's you know, let's take advantage of the tax revenue this is not a bad thing. This is coming. And, uh, at that point, I think it was a little bit more normal to be a, a you know, commercial grower, I guess, because before when you're a caregiver, people are like, what are you doing? You're like, Oh, you know, work for myself. You know what I mean? Just yeah. kind of keep it on the DL. So but now it's, it's a lot of difference. You know, we, we have 25, 30 employees, um, you know, multiple locations now, like I said, we're working on this vertical integration model. We'll have a retail outdoor, indoor phase two coming. We're tripling our, uh, you know, our footprint. So, you know, there's a lot, there's a lot of things, you know, growing. I think we've proven that we can, you know, do what we started out to do. And, you know, that's why there's room for growth. So pretty excited about that. Oh, absolutely. I know for me, just from a grower's perspective, uh, you know, for, for years before even getting into the, the cannabis market, working in plant research and then uh, going to, you know, grow in the basement and stuff. It's like, man, I, I really wish I could use some of this really cool technology on my cannabis, but I couldn't up until, you know, the last few years, it's all finally starting to hit and people are doing some pretty, I mean, just like you guys, pretty incredible things in terms of yield and quality and repeating it time after time. I mean, just, just the ability to turn, you know, 18 crops in a year in a facility, which is not uncommon at all anymore would have been insane to talk about, you know, five, 10 years ago. Yeah. Consistency is key, man. You gotta, you gotta pump out every, every crop's gotta be the same or better um, test, you know, very close to where it was, or people will complain, kind of, you know, look just as good or better. 
obviously you have to pass testing every time. So um, there's really no room for error. But, uh, you know, I think once you dial that model in, you get the data, your, you know, your systems are consistent. You have a great team, which we have um, a great culture, which is even more important. Our culture here is really strong. Um, we have just a great, you know, group of people that are just here together. We always, you know, say it's the PG fam, keep it PG. That's kind of our thing. And uh, I think we really embody that here together as, as a company. So. I like that saying. Awesome. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's really cool, Jake. I was actually just curious because you guys have so much going on. You're expanding into these different phases. Like you, you seem to be getting some some good results from Arroyo. We'd love to hear a little bit more about maybe how Arroyo is kind of helping as you continue to scale up. Maybe some of the areas, maybe you've seen um, some improvement. What, what have you noticed? Yeah, so we were able to have uh, Noah, who's like our, our account manager out uh, on site. He was very, uh, you know, helpful to the team. Not only did he show a lot of love to the brand and to the team, introduce himself to everybody, but he also wanted to pick our brain about what areas we could see improvement, what areas we love, what areas maybe we didn't like. So, you know, the support's been great. Obviously, working with you guys has been really cool. Um, the marketing has been great. You guys are constantly promoting us. We're promoting you guys. So I feel like there's been a really good partnership. Um, and then obviously like the data, you know, the main thing that stays on my computer screen next to me over here is, um, three tabs of, uh, all my flower rooms of Arroyo. So, you know, constantly just keeping the team in the loop on that, um, and, and educating us on how we can better, better use your platform. Um, something that we definitely need to allocate a little bit more time for, because as you guys know, you know, the grow gets time consuming and every day there's new challenges and different things popping up, but we definitely want to take more time to learn more about the platform. But, uh, you know, it's constantly helped us to understand how we can steer better, what growth periods are different feeding times. And, uh, you know, I think Noah's helped specifically guide us with our irrigation strategies as well. You know, that, you know, Hey, maybe you guys should increase that first shot volume. So you guys can get closer up to max saturation earlier. Um, and then you guys can use your next couple shots to maintain that level. Um, and that, that, you know, that kind of data and that kind of input is very valuable because obviously he's working with clients on a day-to-day basis and, uh, you know, also comes from a cultivation background as well. So, you know, getting another great mind to give us some feedback on what they're seeing on our rooms where you guys can, you know, look exactly at what our rooms are doing, how they're performing, um, you know, ask us questions. Maybe you guys, you know, Hey, why are you guys dropping the humidity so early? Oh, you know, well, we were spraying this or doing that, you know, or, we didn't notice that. Thanks for catching that. You know, that's been huge for us to uh, help better guide the team. I think everybody on the cultivation side, even, you know, our daily just grow team, they're all becoming familiar with Arroyo platform, which I think takes time. Um, Like I said, it's only our first year. So I think over the next year, we'll continue to, you know, get them more access and get them all interacting a little bit more um, with Arroyo. So, you know, we have a computer that we have out on the floor that, all the growers are able to go in and look at data, interact with the Arroyo, um, or they have it on their phone as well to go on the app. So, you know, just the multiple uses has been great for us. And I think the biggest thing is, like I said, the alerts has been huge. Saving a $450,000 crop is, uh, you know, you can't say enough good things about that. <laughs> well, so the alerts saved a $450,000 crop. Can you tell us more about that? Yeah. I mean, so basically, you know, we'll push our plants pretty hard. Like a lot of grows will, um, you know, and sometimes things in, in cultivation, you may have uh, a solenoid fail. You may have 
Um, someone shut a zone off for whatever reason, you may have a fertigation issue or whatever, and a zone doesn't get a shot or a room doesn't get fed. Then you get that alert pop-up that says, oh, hey, you know, zone one or room one or two is at 20%, um, you know, WC, water content. And we're like, oh no, you know, what's going on? So we'll, we'll pop in there. And that, that's helped us numerous times. Um, and I think without Arroyo, we definitely would have had uh, some, probably some crop loss for sure. So I think, uh, I think it's done a great job just helping us from potential issues, um, educating the team on, you know, hey, you can't do that, you know, or solenoids do fail. So you got to be aware. Um, and without, you know, active moisture monitoring, you would never know. Um, unless you're there every second of every day, which is impossible. So, Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. Yeah, absolutely. So especially knowing that you, you know, grew at a fairly, quite a bit smaller scale for quite a few years before making this transition to a bigger facility. Now that you're using data logging to make decisions, do you feel like crop to crop the same strain, you're dialing it in quicker, you're improving those yields you're making progress. I mean, that's the way I feel having this data versus not is I can make progress on one strain way quicker, you know, in, in the middle of that run, I can notice things and start to correct them and improve my consistency. Have you, have you experienced the same thing? Do you think since you've uh, had access to tools like this? Absolutely. I mean, it helps you make uh data, just data driven decisions way faster. Like you said, I mean, good growers are always reading the plant. Um, there's signs of stress. There's things that we're constantly looking at runoff, you know, all these things that we're used to doing as basement guys, knowing the plant very well. But then when you get these tools at your hands, it's almost like a cheat code. You know what I mean? And it's like, Oh, Hey, like, yeah, I want to read the plants of course, but I can make decisions before having to read the plants are pissed off um, by having these tools. Hey, the EC is creeping up on this zone. I think you guys are running them a little too dry. And then you see, Oh, Hey, you know, you guys didn't adjust. Well, you guys kind of, you know, push those a little too hard and that EC stacked up a little too high. Now, you know, next time that that certain strain doesn't like to get the EC up above whatever it was. So I think uh, having that data is, has helped us a ton understand our new strains, our old strains and uh, validate some of our feelings. So, yeah. I think that was one of the, one of the earliest really exciting anecdotes for me was working with some some pretty old school growers and they were just like, yeah, your, your system, it, it proved that what I thought was right. You know, they, they were thinking these things for so long, they're pushing their plants for certain ways, certain reasons. And now that they were able to back it up with data, you know, they could look at more of their plants at once. And they're just like, Hey, they, there's why I was doing what I was doing. Let's, <laughs> let's keep doing that and, and keep going down that route. So that's, that's fun. Yeah. And that's something, you know, you can never really throw out of cultivation totally as uh, the grower. Someone always needs to be there to read plant health. You know, you've got to look for signs of stress, plant morphology changes when we're trying to time our different steering cues. And just in, in general, you need to know what you're looking for in a healthy plant and what the plant you want to look like looks like. You know, I mean, that that's certainly something uh, I could just turn you loose with a set of instructions, but if you don't know what to recognize to turn the dials just a little bit, you can get off the rails pretty quickly. Yeah. And you got to know your cultivar as well. I mean, all these strains are so different these days. Uh, you really got to, you know, you got to grow it a few times to really understand it too. So it's definitely a, a factor there, but yeah, it takes a good grower 
and, uh, you know, observant set of eyes that are constantly on the guard and looking for pest pressures. Like you said, plant morphology, um, you know, all those, all those numbers, runoff numbers, uh, whatever it may be. So. Yeah. No, I, think I have another question for oh, you. Um, and along these lines, right? Like we still need the grower. Growers have that valuable insight and that expertise. I was just wondering if there are any functionality that Arroyo doesn't currently have that would help your growers. So anything that you can think of? Um, I mean, we, we, I mean, we love so many tools about it. Uh, the IPM stuff. The biggest thing is the harvest integration platform with just mainly the state, you know what I mean, on the metric side. Um, which I think is, you know, me and Noah had some in-depth conversations, uh, on, you know, the updates on that. So I think that's something I'm just really looking forward to when we can basically use you guys harvesting, you know, scale and we can wear our full plants and it can integrate directly into metric, um, streamline that. And like you guys touched on earlier is, uh, taking one, one platform, one more platform away. So that way we can just be streamlined with all our data, you know, through Arroyo, that would be very helpful. So. You know, we're looking forward to that. There's also a cost, cost savings associated with that um, because obviously you're, you're paying for these services. So, you know, we look forward to getting that up. Then, you know, once we have all the harvest data on the Arroyo platform, um, compliant wise, um, that'll be just huge. That'll basically allow us to just look at so, so much data every day and uh, really understand what each strain is producing on a square foot basis per harvest. So we can really understand, you know, which runs were the best, what was done, those runs, so forth, you know, maybe, Hey, this room tested a little higher because whatever we did differently. So. Awesome. Amazing. Seth, Jason, are there any more questions we had for Jake before we open up to Q and a, I think we've got some questions coming in for Jake from the, the watchers, the viewers here. So. Yeah. yeah Mandy, we got, we have any questions here? Want to ask? Yeah, I would love to ask um, a couple questions in the chat. Um, is that where we're moving on to our Q&A now? Or, okay, great. Um, yeah, just going up a little bit in our list. Um, Michael had a question. When addressing systemic issues, what product IPN solutions do you use? I mean, I think that would be very dependent on what the issues you're seeing. Um, I mean, if it's like more of a, we, we use ozone in our water, so we definitely do some like, between harvest line cleaning and uh, pretty intense room reset cleaning protocols, um, you know, sanitate, full sanitate spraying coverage, every surface is getting touched. Um, we also fog our rooms to make sure that every possible area is getting touched. Because um, fog got that full full room coverage, which we which we love to see. Um, and then on a day to day basis with the plants, we're constantly scouting. We're reading pest pressures. We will use beneficial bugs um, sometimes as well. We don't spray too much. We try to generally stay away from it, but we do use some uh, bio-safe products and some bio-works products, um, just depending on you know what we're doing. So yeah, th those would be the the main lines I would recommend looking into for uh, you know pest prevention, um, mold, disease, that kind of stuff. So. Yeah. Just to add to that, when we are talking about like a systemic issue, we're talking about a whole plant infection or something, you know, with the irrigation lines, I think Jake nailed it there. Don't throw out the elbow grease. You know, you can have a lot of different products that work for you, but if you're not getting in there and scrubbing, you know, at the end of the day, cleanliness is so huge in these facilities. Um, you can't throw that out. There's no product that's going to save you if you can't get in there and scrub and apply. Well said. Yeah. We have a, 
uh, gentleman on our team named Connor. We call him the clean machine and he's our <laughs> facilities, uh, you know, cleanliness manager, so to speak. And this guy is about six, three, about two fifty, and just loves to clean. And, uh, he's never stopped, never stops cleaning tables, benches, floors, whatever it is. And, uh, you know, he's got a little team underneath him and it's, it's pretty cool because they really take cleanliness to the next level. Um, and that helps me, you know, cause I don't have to chase after people to keep things clean when you have someone like that, that has such a pride in main, maintaining a clean facility. So that's been a blessing to us as well. Yeah. Hugely important from an IPM standpoint Dude. and just for your day to day, if you walk into a messy place, your morning doesn't feel as good. I know. I know that's how yeah. I feel if I walk into a messy grow room. Yeah. And we have, uh, you know, one thing I didn't touch on earlier that I probably should mention is we have pretty high facility standards. Um, we don't give a ton of tours and, you know, when people do give tours, they're fully Tyvex, boot covers, hair nets, beard nets. We go through air shower before entering the facility. Everybody that works on the floor, any growers, they take a full shower every day, clean scrubs daily. So that way we, you know, maintain that, make sure our hats, you know, anything we're wearing in the grow is, you know, sanitized, and washed uh, daily or weekly. Um, but all the, you know, apparels changed every day, cleaned every day, shoes are clean daily, um, air shower and the sh- full shower and protocol for all the growers. So we try to make sure we're not bringing in things cause you know, it is the summer and there's a lot of, you know, bugs, mold spores, whatever it may be out there. So we, you know, try to do our best to fight those things off before, uh, having to deal with them. Oh, absolutely. It's a lot easier to prevent them than it is to eradicate them. Absolutely. Oh yeah. And then, uh, as a grower, I can say it's pretty awesome if you've got like locker room and shower facilities. Cause you know, sometimes you got to go to the post office after work or <laughs> pick up your kid, <laughs> those normal things. Yep. Yep. Go to that school play and smell like, yeah. Been in the couple days. No bueno. Sit down and look at the bottom of your shoes and go like, Ooh, yep. <laughs> should have left these ones at home. <laughs> so that's awesome that you guys are able to provide that for your employees. It, it's a really cool two way streak, I think. You know, and that's, Absolutely. that's part of commercializing this and scaling up. Like you're, you're able to do things like that, make it more of a regular workplace, just right back to the, uh, the good old weed factory now. <laughs> yep. Oh, we got, uh, we got some more questions yeah. in there. Welton, uh, Welton Bryant's asking what type of gains did you see when you first started using Arroyo? Um, I would say like. I mean, honestly, our first harvest, we actually, we hit it out of the park from a yield perspective. I think we've been able to dial in our quality. I think yields are something that we've, you know, as growers, just because we have a really sound team, always been able to achieve. But I think really um, dialing in the quality and making sure that we're not having any crop loss or pushing things too hard, but, you know, getting that data from Arroyo, like I touched on, potentially saving crops, that's really where the value's been for us. you know, we've able we've been able to push yield somewhat in some areas for sure. We've definitely seen some better yields, but you know, yields have never been the problem. I think uh, just the best quality and just make, make, making sure that we can repeat the same practices every run, um, which is what the Arroyo's allowed you know provided for us. So those have been the biggest things um, for us. But we've definitely seen huge growths in our uh, terpene profiles in our THC. TCA and our total cannabinoid production, um, as we've been dialing in our strains more, you know, that's been somewhat thanks to the Arroyo platform as well as our growers. Awesome. Get that consistency in there. I've heard from a lot of clients that, you know, they just talk about it. You know, every, 
even some of the best growers, they you know, were hitting it out of the park with yields and, you know, maybe their next run wasn't quite as high up. And after they started getting the, the system in, it was like, Hey, we can, we can do projectability on, on what we're going to get out of this, this growth cycle, you know, add up what, what we're used to getting from these strains, analyze our, our standard deviation on that crop, and, and then really be able to tell the sales team, this is what's coming down in the future. So that consistency is great for your entire team and, and for the business overall. Yeah, I think it helps marketing out quite a bit when you can give them that data and they can make, you know, an intelligent decision and say, hey, we're, you know, instead of them being, for instance, too optimistic, which I know it's really easy to do when you like you said, if you knock it out of the park one run, then you come back at 70 to 75 percent of the yield the next run. That's going to make their job really difficult. It's going to put a lot of pressure on you. And then also potentially down the line, you know, most of your customers in terms of dispensaries, they want they want to keep your shelf space. They want you to fill that up. If you stop supplying, they're less inclined to continue to buy from you down the line, especially in a spot like Michigan right now, where it's pretty competitive, right? And Very. right now you're still in a phase where sales are starting to come up, you know, we're crawling out of the medical and otherwise black market. So we still got a ways where your company can grow probably before you realize what exactly your market share is going to end up being. So you don't want to lose out on that potential. Yeah. Well said. Yeah. I can agree more with you. It's definitely a competitive market, but I think we've done a good job separating ourselves from a packaging standpoint, quality standpoint, a genetic standpoint, and as well as a consistency, like you said, which is obviously key. These dispensaries want to have consistency. You know, the end consumer wants consistency with the strains that they're purchasing. Um, and at the end of the day, us as growers, we want to have consistent um, results, yields, test results, everything across the board and uh, continue to push those, you know, as high as we can. So, yeah. Awesome. We have a little bit of time left. We've got, um, we've actually gotten quite a few questions in, uh, in addition to the chat on Instagram related to crop steering. Seth and Jason, you mind answering a couple and Jake, maybe you have some insight too. Um, we got this question here from Husky. They wrote, question, when transitioning from vegetative to generative and back and forth, what is the transition period and volumes to transition from vegetative to generative feeds or is it just a quick switch? That was a pretty uh, in-depth question. You gotta give it to me one more time. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah, this is how they come in. Seth and Jason, this is all half for them. When transitioning from vegetative to generative and back and forth, what is the transition period and volumes to transition from vegetative to generative feeds? Or is it just a quick switch? We have Husky on. Husky, if you want to unmute yourself and clarify, feel free to go ahead and say something if you want to add. But if not, there's a question. Yeah. Husky wants to hop on. That's cool. Um, if not, I would say I would leave that to our director of cultivation, Austin. He uh, kind of does a lot of our fertigation stuff, but I would say not much change. I mean, definitely a little bit on the shot sizes and the frequencies, just based on how that strain's performing based on the data. Um, so, you know, like I mentioned before, if certain strains are just going through different phases of growth and now they're, uh, you know, demanding a lot more water to get up to that actual, you know, max saturation that you want to see, um, then you got to adjust. So that's kind of, you know, we just kind of play it, play it per, per strain and, uh, you know, adjust slightly per run. And then we can kind of better, you know, gauge how that affected that crop specifically, and then make 
better decisions for the next run. So that way you're not changing too many things at once. And we kind of found a nice sweet spot and uh, we kind of replicate our same recipes, you know, almost every run and tweak them a little bit per strain. So. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Thank you for sharing your experience with that. Jason, anything to add? I think that's the best approach that Jake's got there is dial them in and just only make one variable modification each time that you run it. That way you are getting closer to the absolute perfect golden run. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll actually dive into a few little specifics based on veg to gen and gen to veg real quick. So when we're going from gen to veg, you got to remember that we're going to kind of be training this plant to uptake more water. So we're not immediately going to hit it with quite as many P2s. We're going to watch the graph, just like Jake was mentioning, and see what it needs. So right when we switch out, we don't want to hit P2s really hard and then overwater the plant and flush out our EC. That's a common challenge that people run into. So for a few days, you're going to watch and start adding those P2s in, but always watch that graph and make sure you're not over underwatering. You know, we always got to remember, just like Jake said, you're going to be increasing certain volumes, increasing or decreasing the number of shots at different times, all based on what you're seeing on your graph. So there is no set transition period, but typically one to three days is about what it takes. And when we're at the end of veg, typically go straight to gen, but always watch if your plants over drying to the point where, you know, you're going to be down in that sub 20% in cocoa the next day. Well, we'll start putting on a maintenance shot. So we can deal with that. Yeah. Well said. And one of those things, you know, if, if you are turning it pretty quick, just make sure that you're monitoring and that the, the things aren't getting out of line, you know? So if we are, if we are going into generative shots and, uh, and we see that our EC is just getting way out of control that first day, then, then definitely keep that in mind for the next round that you, you don't want to go quite that fast when, when you're pushing it. But, uh, a lot of times, you know, people are able to make that transition fairly quickly once they're used to the specific constraints of that, that strain in their facility. Yeah. I've noticed a healthy plant in an appropriate, an appropriately sized pot. Typically a one day switch is all you need. It's taking longer. You might have kind of a finicky strain or some other variable that you need to address in the environment typically. Amazing. Thank you. I love all this resource sharing. This is like the best. Thank you for your question. Um, we got another one, another question in from Instagram. We have a few minutes, so I wanted to go ahead and, and put it put it to everybody. Okay, so this came from Sharp Mouse Farms, our friend over there. He wrote leaf VPD versus atmospheric VPD. What is the correlation between the two in terms of how it impacts our metrics? Most people dial in atmosphere VPD based off temperature and relative humidity percentage, but don't take leaf temperature into account. What are some of the drawbacks besides the obvious? Is there an ideal leaf temp for photosynthetic conversion? Are we trying to average out the two? What happens to leaf vapor at atmospheric D point? Uh, D point? Does it just equalize with the surrounding area? In that case, are we causing additional transpiration from the leaf being an ideal VPD range based off atmospheric VPD? There's a lot in there. Yeah, I, yeah. I, I love this question. Oh, Jake, you want to hit it first? Uh, you'd probably be better fit to answer it, but I will say that, uh, you know, with proper plant function, definitely we take a lot of leaf surface temp readings, uh, with the temp gun, just because you will see when plants are for whatever reason, unhappy that, that, that leaf temperature is dropping. Um, and it's not, you know, around that 
80, 82, wherever you're looking to see it for your, you know, your strain specific. Um, I will, we will pay attention to that very much and definitely have seen uh, that help guide us to better understanding how that plant's functioning. And obviously, uh, you know, with the room VPD versus the actual plant surface leaf temperature. So I'll let you take it from there. Yeah. So, uh, leaf temperature, uh, difference between that and, and what's going on in the environment. We're looking at really two impacts. One would be the temperature loss due to transpiration. So is that water is evaporating or transpiring, excuse me, out of the leaf surfaces. It's actually going to decrease the, t- the surface temperature of that leaf. And then we've got, uh, radiation, which is going to be increasing the the temperature of that leaf. And so this is one of the things that, you know, people, especially if you're transitioning from like HPS to LEDs, definitely go in there and take some leaf surface temperatures and get an idea on, on what you should be setting your room VPD to. Now, as far as continuous monitoring, I I like room VPD because that is what's mostly going to change our leaf surface temperature and our, our, our leaf VPD is by modifying the environment. Obviously, if we did go through like uh, a light change or maybe we change the height of the plant or the, the height of the lights in relationship to the plants, those things can make a difference in, in relationship between leaf VPD and uh, environment VPD. But tif- typically, once you're in the set parameters of a room is already set up, you're not going to see much modulation in the difference between um, leaf VPD and room VPD. And so that's one thing that I always kind of like to keep in mind is let's go in there and get an idea of, of what that difference is. You know, is it maybe minus three and, and then just monitor the, the room, the environment VPD. And, and typically those, those leaf surface temperatures aren't going to change off of, uh, off of the room environment much. Yeah. I mean, you kind of nail it on the head there. We can, uh, when we're looking at leaf surface VPD, we're looking at the condition closest to the stomata, closest to the surface of the leaf. So that's, what's actually affecting transpiration. Now you're not in there 24 seven with a laser thermometer taking all these readings. So the best we can do is get very familiar with your environment. Like Jason said, get out there, take those leaf surface temps. And then, uh, if you start to dive into the math, you're going to realize that you're usually calculating air VPD right before you calculate leaf VPD. So why not familiarize yourself with the known values you can easily calculate and base your strategy off of that. And just as Jason pointed out, you know, this is a pretty static room. If we've got everything else accounted for, there's not much variation in the room. Everything's under control. We're not having heat spikes or humidity spikes. Um, we can trust that the air VPD that we're reading will correlate in the way that we expect it to with our leaf VPD. Now, going out there and collecting those measurements all the time is a great idea because you might find with different strains in the room, you do have different surface temperatures. You know, maybe we have to modify the room certain ways. Maybe some strains, you know, that's another factor that we can use to judge whether or not they should run together because some need it to be hotter in the room. <laughs> And yeah, you know, like just as Jason said, switching from the HPS to LEDs is a huge challenge if you're used to running your room one way and now you need to run it a different way. So getting in there and getting that leaf VPD will really help you guide that. But it's important to familiarize yourself with what kind of ranges you can realistically and easily monitor in your room. And one of the challenges with you know, point measurements like uh, leaf surface temperature is you need to be capturing a lot of samples in order to get a good picture of what's going on in there. So if we just visualize a plant, almost always our upper leaves are going to have a little bit higher 
surface temperature on them because of the radiation that's getting to them. And so, you know, go in there and, and take some leaf temps across the entire plant and say, all right, well, here's the range that we see. Now, here's what our room uh, temperature is. And then just keep that in mind and try and fluctuate uh, your environment into the perfect range for those plants. And one of the things that is a nice tool to help people with strain specific type of application with this is stomatal conductance. So you can go in there and take a whole bunch of stomatal conductance readings and, uh, and then maybe make a slight environment change, go back and take a bunch more stomatal conductance readings and see if uh, transpiration rates have increased or decreased due to that variation or that variable change. Thank you guys for that. That was a, oh my gosh, one of the most interesting questions I've heard in a long time. Um, and you guys handled it like champs. Um, we do have one final question that came in through the chats. Uh, and then I think that we're going to have to sign off because we're at time. Um, but Bilbo Baggins uh, wanted to know what sort of time, cost, and ERP connections do you have within the Arroyo platform? Well, we have an open API, so you can pull out any of your data. Um, we do have timed events, obviously, task timing. We don't have a cost spreadsheet function in there quite yet, but anyone who is building their own ERP can look at our open API and see what kind of data they would want to pull out. Yeah, and this is one of those things where we like to just chat with our customers and get an idea of what specific applications work best for them as well. And that kind of helps us direct our energy into the most valuable solutions. And it's one thing if we just build out a solution out there and say, hey, this is available. Um, it, it's a lot better if we, we get in touch, partner with our, our clients and get an understanding specifically what applications they need, what data they need to be pulling through an API in our system. But I'm always really excited to help people utilize our, our open API. Uh, I utilize it personally for some control stuff, in my house, and it's just a, it's a fantastic tool for making the most of your data. If it's, if it's slightly beyond what, uh, what you can do in Arroyo, I encourage you get that data and, and, and do what you need with it. If you got software engineers on your team or just very technical, uh, technically savvy employees, then, uh, let them start playing around and making the most the value that you're capturing from your facility. Awesome. Thank you guys for that. And um, I did tell a little lie. Um, I do have one more tiny question for y'all. Um, can you guys tell me in under a minute, um, what's the best spot to put a sensor in a slab? This is a, this is a test. <laughs> uh, on the downhill side in between two of the plants, don't put it right under one of the top blocks. And definitely make sure that you're trying to use one of our installation templates or a, a ruler. And you'll, I think it's one and a quarter. Yep. One yeah. and a quarter inches. The that bottom we want slot. that for, uh, for Rockwell slabs. Yeah. That, that goes without saying, if you're using these sensors, you should just have that. I needed to say it. Yeah. <laughs> Anyone out there, you know, drill a hole in your little tool, put it on a lanyard. Uh, they can go missing easily. I've talked to a few people that have done like the old, the old gas station bathroom key trick. There you go. Just attach it to something <laughs> big and unwieldy. So no one can just shove it in their pocket and go home. <laughs> nice. Great rules yeah, we, to live by. 56 seconds. You guys did it. Awesome. Outstanding. <laughs> this has been an amazing episode. Jake from Peninsula Gardens. It was so good to have you on. Thank you for, for coming on with us. Looking forward to coming out to Michigan and, and experiencing that wonderful facility in person at some point in the future. Yeah, we can't wait to have you guys out. Let us know when you guys are ready to come out and uh, we'll have the red carpet wait for you guys. Yes.
Yes, yes, yes. Amazing. Seth and Jason, as usual, wonderful to talk to you guys. Great job managing the conversation today. And of course, Mandy, my, my co-moderating partner. Uh, can't do it without you. 30 episodes. We're going to keep it going. Um, this is for you, Cultivators. Um, you know, these conversations all about you. Thank you all for joining us for this week's Office Hours Live. If you have any questions about Arroyo, you're welcome to book a demo. Let's let's talk to the talk to the experts about everything that you can do um, to improve your cultivation production process. Um, and then as far as Office Hours go, if there are any topics anybody out there wants to hear about, post it in the chat. Shoot us an email at support.arroyo.metergroup.com or send us a DM over Instagram. We definitely want to hear from you. We record every session. We'll email everybody in attendance a link to the video from today's discussion. It'll also be in the Arroyo YouTube channel. Like, subscribe, and share while you're there. And if you find these conversations helpful, please do spread the word. We'll see you next time. Thanks, everybody. Office Hours Live is brought to you by Arroyo, the ultimate cultivation platform. Unlock the power of crop steering through our state-of-the-art sensors and software. Repeat successful runs and scale faster than ever before. Schedule a demo today at arroyo.io.